こんにちは皆さん。ビジネス・サクセス・ジャパンのポッドキャストへようこそ。Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Business Success Japan podcast.This is your host, Lydia Buchelman.My main goal here is to create an easily accessible resource for those who want to develop Japan-specific communication skills, especially in business.While I can't and won't promise to make you fluent in Japanese, I hope that you will walk away from each episode with a skill, piece of information, or shift in mindset that will help you be more effective in your interactions with Japanese business people. In today's episode, Mac of the travel company Maxion Planet shares his insights into how best to navigate professional and personal relationships as a foreigner in Japan. You may have noticed that this topic has been a common thread throughout many of the episodes in this podcast, but that's simply because it's such a core aspect of doing business in Japan that it's almost impossible to overstate its importance. But before we get into today's episode, let's go over a little bit of Japanese. In the previous episode, we went over a phrase that is useful when going out for a drink in Japan, as it's pretty much just the Japanese equivalent of the English phrase cheers, kanpai, ka, n. Today, I'll teach you a word that is brought up a few times in our conversation, which is the Japanese word for foreigner or someone from another country. Gaijin. 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 The kanji, or Chinese characters, that make up this word are simply the characters for outside and person. Check out the description of this episode if you're interested in what those characters look like. Another common variation of this word with pretty much the same meaning puts the character for country between the other two characters, resulting in something that looks like outside country person. So just be aware that if you hear the word gaikokujin, it means pretty much the same thing as gaijin. But gaijin is used in this conversation, so be sure to listen for that in this episode. And without any more delay, let's get into today's conversation. Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, Matt? Hi, Lydia. First of all, thank you very much for、uh, inviting me to join your、uh, fantastic podcast. I've loved listening to it. So I'm Mac. And I've been living in Japan for 14 years now.、Uh, I came here first of all in 2006,、uh, in August 2006. So, pretty much as we're recording this, my 14 year anniversary. Happy anniversary. Thank you very, very much.、Um, I, when I first moved here,、uh, I was、uh, an actuary.、Uh, so, I was working in the insurance industry and then I moved into finance. And about three years ago, I left that to start my own travel company, which is called Maxion Planet,、uh, which specializes in bespoke Japan tours and experiences,、uh, primarily in Tokyo, but increasingly all around the country. Why did you decide to settle in Japan then? That's a pretty big move. Yeah, it certainly is.、Um, so, my history with Japan actually goes all the way back to 2002. I came here on holiday for 17 days. During the World Cup. If your listener base is primarily in the country in which you currently reside, Lydia, then I should probably say the Soccer World Cup, <laughs>、uh, just to be very specific. But that tournament was actually split between Japan and South Korea. And I followed the England team、uh, all around、uh, Japan for 17 days. And I fell in love with the country. Or more specifically, I fell in love with Tokyo. And I just 
you know, I mean, almost on arrival to Tokyo, uh, the legend goes that I emerged from the Narita Express at Ikebukuro station where we were staying. And uh, I, I looked around the fairly nondescript, uh, you know, bus station outside one of the exits. And I turned to my friend who I was traveling with and said, I'm going to live here one day. And uh, sure enough, I was very luckily able to make that uh, dream come true. I was training to be an actuary. So I uh, accelerated through the exams. I qualified in November 2005. I spent about two weeks in a drunken stupor and then uh, emerged from that uh, haze and immediately emailed a recruitment consultant to set things in motion um, to try to find a job in Tokyo. So what made you decide to switch careers altogether then? Okay, well, I've always wanted the challenge of running my own business. Mm -hmm. That's uh, that's absolutely uh, one of the big drivers for uh, kind of moving out of, you know, working for the man and then uh, moving to uh, becoming an entrepreneur or solopreneur or whatever the current buzzword is for for that. Um, uh, The second thing is I love travel. I've been to 108 countries and uh, for me, Japan is number one, but you know, I've traveled by myself. I've traveled with friends. I've traveled on group tours. I've traveled on private tours. I've traveled, um, you know, in a couple. So I, you know, I've experienced a ton of travel. Obviously I have my own ideas about, you know, how to maximize people's experiences. So I wanted to bring that to the table as well. And, the third aspect is that I am a massive Tokyoite. I'm a massive Tokyophile. And uh, I wanted so much to share, you know, my passion for what I always term the world's greatest metropolis with people. So the intersection of kind of those three threads is uh, how we ended up with Match and Planet. So why Tokyo in particular? What made you love Tokyo so much that you decided to stay here? Uh, it's an excellent question, Lydia, and it's one that I have a very well-rehearsed answer to because, <laughs> you know, I mean, to put into context, for example, in 2019, I was literally guiding on average for 10 hours a day, six days a week. So I was very lucky that things had gone very well for, for myself and for Maxion Planet. And of course, every new guest asks that same question. But uh, so, mm-hmm. um, uh, so basically, I always talk about the five factors for me. Um, and we'll start off with the two, which are the most boring, uh, rather like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, um, and they are the safety and the efficiency. For me, as I expect for most people uh, on earth, personal safety is very important. And I just love that feeling that, you know, when you're walking around Tokyo, whatever time of day it is, you know, random street crime, it's not impossible, but it's very unlikely to happen to you. I'm sure you understand what I mean there. Mm-hmm. And then the second aspect is the efficiency. You know, the things work here. You know, whether whether we're talking about the the Shinkansen, you know, the uh, the JR Tokai who run, you know, the Tokaido Shinkansen, the the one that a lot of visitors to Japan will have taken from here towards Kyoto. Uh, you know, the average delay per train on that thing, you know, in 2018, was basically something like 15 seconds, which is, it's just insane to to think. They're running these things, you know, these 16 carriage trains. I think there are 12 an hour 
between 4.20 and 8.20 p.m. on a Friday afternoon. So they're running them at the same frequency that many countries, you know, wish they could run their subway systems at. Mm-hmm. And everything works, you know. Um, you know, if you want to get something delivered to your home, you know, in the UK, you basically have to take a week off work and uh, hope that you're not otherwise engaged or sitting on the toilet when the guy rings because you, you'll not see that package again for another three weeks. But, you know, in Japan, you can specify two hour slots and the people will arrive within that two hours. So those things, you know, the safety and the efficiency, they remove 90% of the stress of, for me, living in, you know, pretty much any other big city. And then once you've addressed that, you have a lovely foundation to enjoy, you know, the, the three things which life is about, which is people, food, and the culture. Um, the people are fantastic here, you know, uh, and we're obviously going to be talking about that today as we get into the subject of relationships. But, you know, the, the people in Japan are just, they, they're just wonderful, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the food is incredible, whether you're talking about the Michelin stars, you know, Tokyo has more Michelin stars than Paris and New York combined, all the way down to the BQ Gurume, you know, the ramen, the tonkatsu, the okonomiyaki, um, everything is fabulous here. Plus we have a huge amount of wonderful international food as well. And then the culture. And I actually have changed a little bit. Culture is the one word answer, but I like to call it things to do. Because when you say culture, people kind of immediately think, oh, Japanese culture, you know, swords and tea ceremony. And of course, that itself is absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. I have huge passion for that. Then, of course, there's modern Japanese culture, uh, be it anime and manga and and robots um, and, you know, the kawaii kawaii culture as well. But then for me, like I say, it's it's more than that. It's it's about the the things to do. I think... um, so a famous man once said, you know, board of Paris, board of life. And he just got the city wrong. For me, it's board of Tokyo, board of life. If you wake up in this great city and you can't think of something that you love uh, that is on, whether it's sport related, art related, horticulture, gardens related, uh, food related, beer related, every aspect of what you love to do is catered for in this city in such depth uh, and there's just nowhere like it on earth in my opinion yeah i definitely agree with that um i don't know if you're able to speak to this in particular but do you think it has anything to do with the collector culture there because people tend to have very specific interests and they dive really deep into them that's just a trend that i've heard a lot do you know anything about that Yes, I do. I think you're alluding to, you know, some of the fantastic places that we have, whether it's collecting vinyl records, right? I think we have some of the still functioning best uh, cassette shops in the world. Some of, your younger, <laughs> yep. young, some of your younger listeners will be familiar with cassettes from such documentaries like Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. And I think it's, it's related, you know, we can draw all sorts of uh, lines and cultural threads going back centuries. Um, you know, you can, you can bring in the concept of shocking in, um, whatever it is, it's, yeah, it's definitely a society where when people are into something, they are into it, you know? Uh, where, I mean, I'm a big member of the baseball community here, specifically, I'm a huge supporter of the Tokyo Yakult Swallows. And 
you know, for the people I sit with, it, it's, it's a passion in a way that's actually difficult for, you know, even the most passionate sports fans uh, in some other countries to really relate to. Um, so, yes, I, I think whether it's food, whether it's art, uh, whether you're into kites and you've just decided, oh, I'm going to set up the Japan Kite Museum, you know, and this is going to be the world's best place to go to see kites. Uh, it, all of that brings this incredible uh, diversity to the world's greatest metropolis. It's a, just a very unique situation to be in, to literally be able to do almost anything you want any day, just hopping on the train. Yeah, uh, and, 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 with, and, and knowing that you'll be able to get there on time and <laughs> that you're not going to be mugged on the subway while you do it. You know? <laughs> like, so, right. I mean, it sounds, it sounds like this utopia or dystopia, but it really, is, it really is wonderful. I mean, I could give, you know, thousands of examples of just having had the most amazing days here because you can rely on um, the, the system. Um, um, in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one right now. So one of my very best friends from school, a guy who I've now known for 30 years, uh, came to visit me uh, with his partner. Uh, and uh, on the uh, Friday, we decided to go up to Nikko. Uh, now, uh, one of the main sites of Nikko, uh, we, uh, we went down to try to get in. And the uh, last entry was 3.30. And of course, it was 3.31. And, uh, you know, we got the X, <laughs> the, the muddy, the, the, the X that, uh, you know, you sometimes get when uh, you're trying to blag your way in. But no, we were one minute late. There was no chance of that. <laughs> so, you know, we went for dinner. We were staying in Ryokan. And I started to think, well, hang on, our train tomorrow is at 8.52, leaving from Nikko to go back to uh, Tokyo. And I thought, well, this place opens at eight and therefore we have time to visit, right? And it's a sort of, you know, it, it was tight, but nowhere else would I even have thought about attempting that, you know? Eight o'clock meant it was gonna open at eight. And I knew that therefore, if we were there at 7.59, then we would be able to uh, get there. So, you know, I, I set things into motion. We took a cab from our accommodation uh, to uh, this, uh, uh, you know, sight, and we were there indeed one minute before, and we walked quickly once we were in, and then we came out and we went straight to the cab rank, and then we got a cab and we went and picked up our bags, and then we were at the train station at 8:48 in time for our 8:52 train, and off we went back to Tokyo. But kind of the 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 um, the planning didn't end there because then we went back from uh, Asakusa station to drop bags off at uh, my then apartment in Yoyogi, and then we went out all the way to the west side of Tokyo, to Chofu, to watch a football match, to watch FC Tokyo. And the game kicked off at 2 p.m. And we were indeed able to very happily make kickoff and even had time to have some lunch on the way as well. So then we watched a soccer match from two o'clock, uh, finished just before four. And then we, you know, legged it, as it were, to the station and made our way all the way across from West Tokyo now to Disneyland. So we got to Maihama Station and we went to see the Cirque du Soleil show, Z, which started at 6 p.m. And again, we were able to make it in time and were able to have a drink and then watch the show and then had dinner there. And then by this point, it was only 9 p.m. or so. 
so then we were able to come back to you know Shibuya and, and have a great night out. Yeah, that's a perfect illustration of it. Just the sheer predictability of what you're going to be experiencing logistic-wise is a major thing that you don't have to worry about, and then you can actually enjoy what you're doing. So I yeah. definitely appreciate that too. Yeah, you can enjoy what you're doing, and then you can plan around it, and you can therefore maximize you know, the things that you're, you're going to do, you know, cross country, you know, or cross city dashes, you know, because you know, like, oh, well, you know, this is going to take me two hours and seven minutes. So, well, you know, I'm going to, you know, use this time on the train to read or do some admin. And then when I emerge, I can get on with my life. So it's absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. So switching gears a little bit, you've had kind of the professional experience in Japan, working for the man, and then also moving into working for yourself. But can you tell us a little bit about the differences between professional relationships that you've had in Japan versus maybe other cultures and contexts that you've experienced? Sure. Uh, very good question, Lydia. Um, the first thing to say is that, you know, Japan is a country on planet Earth populated by human beings. And I know that may sound like a, a very sort of obvious uh, or trite way to begin but as we know you know human beings have huge levels of commonality mm -hmm. um, you know in his great book subliminal Lennon Molyneux presents some of the countless countless evidence uh, that sociologists have come up with that shows that you know a Japanese man and an American man have much more in common in terms of values than a Japanese man and a Japanese woman or an American man and an American woman do you know what I'm trying to say here that Basically, you know, human beings are human beings and, you know, we, we, we sometimes we look for the differences, you know, between America, uh, France, Japan, China. But at the end of the day, we all want the same things. Now, having said that, understanding the nuances of the remaining, you know, I don't know, let's call it 10 percent that are those cultural differences is hugely important in terms of uh, relationship building here and also uh, maximizing your experience, I guess, in any country you live. And, you know, because Japan uh, on, on many of kind of the sociological charts is at one extreme uh, relative to some kind of the Anglo-American uh, axis, uh, then it makes it more important, I think, than in, in some other, other countries. So, to pick up on some specifics there, number one, for me, it's always been the most important thing here, which is respect. And respect is obviously very important all over the earth. But here, I've just found in my experience that, you know, respect as a concept is much more deeply valued and much more subtle in the way that it's expressed. The second one I would touch on is FaceTime in a working environment, uh, understanding just how important that is. And maybe the third one I'd like to bring up at this point is the language. And I'm not talking here about needing to be, you know, 100% fluent before you move here, but understanding how the language works, understanding that there is a difference between low context languages like English and high context languages like Japanese. Uh, will definitely help you navigate some of the misunderstandings that uh, that can potentially arise. Right, I definitely agree with that. That's why I have 
very strong opinions in this area myself, but what would you say to somebody who maybe has heard that, oh, you don't really need to learn Japanese because Japanese people will be able to speak English well enough and or, oh, I'll just get an interpreter and it'll be fine. I think you could, you just can't underestimate the benefits of, of, of knowing uh, at least at, you know, some level of the language and it ties in, you know, all of these three things are connected, of course. So, you know, when I first moved here, I started learning Japanese and, and that itself showed the respect to my coworkers, you know, that I was here and I was, I was doing my best to, to, to assimilate myself, you know, into the culture and into the country. Um, and it will help you, like I say, understand potential misunderstanding. So, you, you know, you, you do not need fluency, but what you do need to know, I mean, again, this may come across as a little bit of a cliche, but you need to understand, as, as I did when I tapped uh, one of uh, the, the members of my team in my first job on the shoulders, and I said, we need this done. And he said, Choto muskashi, you know, you, need to, you know, and, and, and I had learned the word choto and I was learning adjectives at the time and I had learned muskashi and I thought, oh, a little difficult. Well, you know, that's the joy of life. But Gambate. yes, yeah. So, you know, well, well done, mate. You know, I mean, you know, it can't all be easy. But uh, no, he was telling me that it was absolutely bloody 100% impossible. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and, and that's a simple example, but it illustrates, um, you know, the bigger, uh, the bigger battle that you're facing. Um, and so any kind of incremental knowledge that you can get is really going to help you uh, a huge amount. So these three things that you mentioned respect FaceTime at work, specifically in language. They all seem pretty straightforward. Is there anything that makes it particularly challenging for foreigners to build relationships in Japan? Sure. Again, just to reiterate my point, because I want to give people listening to this, you know, some confidence, you know, I don't, um, mm -hmm. th things have changed a little bit now. There, there, of course, is a huge proliferation of English language information about Japan, um, you know, podcasts like what you're doing, Lydia, I think are hugely helpful. I wish that, that I was able to listen to you and your guests back in 2006, right? Um, so, you know, things have changed a lot and, and you are now if you're planning to move to Japan right now you're, you're armed with a, a, a lot more resources than we had back you know 10 15 20 years ago I've spoken with and read a lot of comments kind of online by numerous foreigners living in Japan who lament you know how hard it is to connect with Japanese people on a deep level be it personal professional relationships right and many uh, say that forging close relationships is difficult uh, and becoming part of, say, a Japanese circle of friends is even harder. I personally have really never felt this way. And I really want your listeners to understand that. You know, I want to sort of push aside some of this, um, you know, messaging that you sometimes get. That, uh, you know, that your life here may be very, very difficult and you'll have to spend all your time in the American club. You know, of course, that there are people I've struggled to connect with deeply here. But I can say that. Uh, you know, in, in the UK, and I can say that in all of the 108 countries that I've visited. You know, the truth now is that some of my closest friends in the world are Japanese, and some of the best working relationships I've ever had are here. So, you know, are there any secret techniques to that? I think you really shouldn't move here unless you have a fondness for Japan, you know? Mm -hmm. um, 
I mean, of course, you may be sent here by your company on a on an assignment, and and that just is what it is, and and that's part of life. But actually, having a love for being here is really going to help you, you know, not take offence to some of the things that you may take offence to. It's going to help you find a sense of humour in some of the situations that that may arise. Um, uh, so, I, I mean. Here's, here's one example which relates to the FaceTime issue, right? I remember uh, I was kind of um, a functional manager of a team of about 20, uh, all Japanese people in my first job here. And uh, we were all working late. Now that I've got no chance of being fired from that job, I will admit that I was enjoying life having moved to this country. And, you know, there may have been some drinking involved. There may have been a little bit of slacking involved. So I had to actually catch up with some work. And so I was late in the office and it was about 10 p.m. And pretty much everybody else was there still at 10 p.m. Now I needed to go to the restroom and uh, it was a little bit cooler in the office. I think instinctively I took my jacket off the back of my chair and I went to the restroom and, you know, thoroughly washed my hands, even though it was pre-COVID and then came back and everybody had disappeared. Literally, the entire team had left the office in that 10 minute gap. And I suddenly realized what they meant when they said, wow, they really do stay until the boss leaves. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, 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 I just didn't know what to think. I thought, you know, but of course, because I, I just had such, I was so happy to be in this place that had been my goal to move to uh, for four years. You know, I just found the whole situation hilarious. I was like, yes, you know, the, the stereotypes and the cliches are happening to me. It was a real source of pride. So, you know, I went back to my work and I stayed there till midnight because I needed to get some stuff done and, and off I went. And the next day, you know, I was able to come in and, and we all had a little joke about it in the team. And also, you know, if you demonstrate that fondness you know, people are, you know, we talk about human beings, right? I mean, I think human beings have huge instinctual capacity to understand, you know, the person's heart, you know, the, 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 the kokoro, as it were, right? The spirit. You know what I mean? The, the connection that you have, mm -hmm. can, regardless of language, right? You can tell when somebody's not into what they're talking about. Uh, you can tell when somebody is really happy and when they're pretending to be happy. You know, I've heard some stories about, for example, as, as you know, um, horse meat is eaten in Japan, mm -hmm. where I think it, it isn't eaten as commonly in the US. And, you know, you're gonna be taken out to an izakaya, probably as some kind of, you know, welcome party, or you're gonna be drinking and doing, a, you know, nomikai with your, uh, with your work colleagues. You know, and horse meat's gonna be served up and, of course, you don't have to eat it, right? But the way you handle that situation is going to affect people's perceptions of you. And there are ways to handle it uh, that, uh, that, that show respect, and there are ways to handle it that, that show less respect or none at all. That's going to be a huge factor in your life. Whether you can find ways to communicate, even when your language skills are poorer, that still allow you to, to connect with people. Right. I definitely agree with that. There's a lot more to communication than just the language. You're absolutely right, Lydia. Um, it reminds me of a story from um, 2010. I've been a fan of the Tokyo Yakult Swallows that I mentioned, my baseball team, 
since 2006. And for the first three and a half years of my support, I was kind of watching by myself or bringing friends along. And then in 2010, I became uh, part of a group. And the leader of that group, uh, Yamada-san, is one of my favorite human beings on earth. A 67-year-old grandmother by day, baseball hooligan by night. And uh, uh, at the time, in 2010, my Japanese was uh, not as good as it is now. Now, the other bit of background you need for this story is that when the Tokyo Yakult Swallows score a home run, uh, we sing a song, the Tokyo Ondo, which is actually a traditional song often sung during Bonodori, you know, those uh, kind of summer dancing festivals that we do, where everybody does the same moves as we go around the Yagara, you know, the stand in the middle that has the musicians. And we sing that song whenever we score a home run or uh, during the Lucky Seven, which is the equivalent of the seven-inning stretch that you have in the U.S., and so I've just joined this group and we were playing our crosstown rivals, the Yomiuri Giants. And we scored a home run and I started, like everybody else, you know, we, we, we wave these mini umbrellas around. I know it sounds surreal to anybody who's not seen it. There's plenty of videos on YouTube. So we start waving these mini umbrellas around while singing the Tokyo Ondo. And there I was singing very loudly, especially loudly because we were playing the Giants. And uh, I, I only found out years later that uh, Yamada-san uh, turned to another member of our group and she said to him, wow, you know, Max sings the Tokyo Ondo really passionately. You know, do you know why? And uh, he didn't. But, you know, that was, you know, a, a, a key part in building my relationship with Yamada-san even before we could communicate. Uh, more fluently was just the fact that she could detect, you know, my true love for this team. You know, I wasn't just a tourist or somebody who was coming along going, ah, oh, look at this. Oh, look, these guys wave umbrellas around when they score a home run, you know, taking a ton of videos and photos and then, and then never coming again. Um, and so, you know, consistency and passion are going to be very, very important parts of uh, building your relationships here. So then on the other side, are there any things that foreigners might actually have an advantage in this area, despite having these big cultural differences? Yes, absolutely. I think it's said sometimes that it might even be tougher to be Japanese in Japan than it is mm. to be foreign here. Uh, because, you know, unlike me, they have to live with Japan's social pressure cooker every day. Um, I sometimes really don't envy some of my Japanese friends, especially in the professional environment. And I am thankful that I'm not held to the same strict standards as they are. You will be given a gaijin pass. Nobody expects you to, you know, fully understand, at least certainly in your initial period here, the exact number of times or the depth that you need to bow, you know, when it's appropriate to leave a situation, when it's appropriate to speak in a situation. However, the nature of the pass that you get is going to depend on you specifically. That's why it can be hard to speak generally. And, you know, you can only really speak, I think, anecdotally about this and specifically, you know, me talking about my experience or the experience of, uh, of, of foreigners within my circle, both professionally and personally, because the nature of the passes that you get are going to really depend very specifically on you and how you've built up your relationships and how you've built up, you know, those connections. And also they're going to depend on your counterparty. 
So if I think back to my period within the finance industry, I was an analyst uh, covering uh, financial companies here. And the companies I dealt with were, were hugely different. Some of them were big uh, conglomerates that had made a lot of international acquisitions overseas. Some of them were still very, very domestic focused companies. And my relationship at any given time with them, I was me doing what I thought was the same thing, but, but you know, the connections that I had depended very much on also their international mindset as well. So it's going to be a two-way street. It's going to be what you bring to the situation, but it's also going to very much depend on your counterparties, you know, whether you're working in a much more domestic environment, you're going to get much less of a Gaijin pass, or whether, you know, as the world changes and, and globalization continues, you know, people are going to understand you know, different ways of, of working. Right. And that makes a lot of sense. So it's best to be aware that you will encounter Gaijin passes, but you should definitely not rely on them to get you through because they will not always work. And what's nice about the Gaijin Pass is that if you are with somebody who maybe doesn't expect you to do these things, but then you come out and do them pretty well, then that just shows that deep respect that you need to help build a relationship going forward. So if you don't use the Gaijin Pass, that's great too. That's a very, very eloquent way of, of summing up yeah, the concept of the Gaijin Pass and how you're going to be building relationships in Japan. You know, back in uh, 2011, uh, obviously the tragic events of, of March 11th of that year up in Tohoku with the earthquake, uh, the tsunami and the uh, Fukushima disaster. As a result of that, the baseball season start was postponed by about a month or so. And all of the games for the first month uh, switched to being day games so that we could save power because a lot of Tokyo's power actually came from the Fukushima power plant. So they didn't want to use the floodlights. So I remember turning up to the first of those games. And one of the members of our group, Mikami-san, he turned to me and he said, Mac, what are you doing here? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, ah, oh, I'm hearing on the news, many foreigners are leaving Japan. Uh, if you remember at that time, the, the term fly gin had been caused, coined. Oh my goodness. Yeah, um, from obvious <laughs> origins mm -hmm. to describe people who were just upping and leaving uh, Tokyo, you know, and moving to Hong Kong, moving to Singapore or going back to their home countries, either temporarily or permanently. And uh, I said to him, absolutely no way, you know, this is my home. And uh, then I turned to him and I said, what are you doing here? And he said, well, this is my home. And I kind of said, touche. And then we hugged each other. And uh, there was, uh, which is very rare actually in Japan, as you know, mm -hmm. hugging is not a common thing. And uh, there are a few tears exchanged as well. You know, so if you're able to just really treat this place with the respect it deserves, you know, as your home, whether it's permanent or whether it's temporary, then people will respond and, you know, all those comments that you read online about not being able to develop deep relationships, I absolutely guarantee you that you will have a totally different, much more positive experience here. So then are there any specific things that you do to cultivate and maintain professional relationships in Japan? Because like you said, you can't go around hugging people, especially in a professional context. So what practices do you incorporate, especially maintaining professional relationships? Sure. It depends on what your goals are, obviously. 
So some of these are going to be, uh, you know, things that you can apply, I think, not just in Japan, but also just generally if you're, if you're somebody who, who wants to improve their professional relationships. Concepts that kind of come to mind are very much, you know, I know it's a dirty word, but networking, whether it's internally within your company or externally as well. One kind of just concept, I think there's a book with this title, but like a lot of business books these days, the title tends to give away the entirety of the 200 pages. Mm -hmm. um, and that is Never Lunch Alone. It, I'm going to summarize this book for you guys, okay? Never Lunch Alone. Amazing. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a bit like, uh, it's just like a side Lydia, if I may, mm -hmm. the, the book Minimum Viable Product. Right, yeah. Launch, <laughs> launch a minimum viable product. If it doesn't work, launch another one. Thank you very much. <laughs> We're done here. Uh, so I've just saved uh, the audience 400 uh, pages of reading there. So when you advertise this podcast, please, uh, please make sure in the notes that you, the, the, the potential listeners understand this uh, huge value add uh, that right. we've just achieved. But anyway, back to the matter at hand. With Never Lunch Alone, you know, I, I think internally, that's huge. That is huge. And you should be doing it with your juniors, you should be doing it with your peers, and you should be doing it with your seniors as well. And you, of course, need to then extend that. It is true, I think, that the after-evening drinks uh, around alcohol, it, in my experience, even now that I've moved out of um, you know, the finance world and moved into tourism, they still do form a big part of relationship building in Japan. Less so than 10 years ago, less so than 20 years ago, uh, corporate budgets are, uh, are being reduced. So in terms of the group outings, that is changing. But I'm sure you'll agree, Lydia, that it's still, I think, a core part of relationship building here. Yeah, it's not something that, well, you can get around it. You don't have to participate. It's just the payoff is so much bigger in terms of building relationships than events maybe without alcohol. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's sort of tough, right? Because mm -hmm. there's there's you know in in a world where we're all trying to work on our reductions of of discrimination and barriers mm -hmm. to entry, whatever they may be, it, it's sad for me to say that you know that the the alcohol fueled evening meetings are going to be uh, very important, but they they just are. So you know when um, when I was trying to build relationships with uh, companies you know, to, to persuade them, for example, to let out the, the CEOs or CFOs of those companies go on the road with us. So, you know, with, with the securities houses, which I work for, to allow their senior management to come and, and tour and visit different investors around the world. Without a doubt, taking them out for drinks in the evening, often multiple times as well, you know, relationships mm -hmm. not just built in a couple of hours, Bonenkai, Shinenkai, all of that hugely, hugely important. Maybe just something more generally for me now, I think, in, uh, it, it, as, as an entrepreneur, I think it's very important to be front of mind with people. And, you know, LinkedIn, I found to be incredibly helpful. I know that's how me and you connected, Lydia. Uh, and it, it just, you know, what you want often in business, you just want as many potential uh, opportunities and avenues of that business to come to you. So the more potential chances you have to be front of mind with people who suddenly, in my case, think, oh, yeah, you know, you know, we work at the Swiss embassy and, you know, we've got these guys coming in and oh, we need somebody to show them around Tokyo. Oh, yeah, I, I, I heard about that guy, Mac, you know, he has 285 five-star reviews on TripAdvisor. 
shameless plug but you know what i mean <laughs> you know then then that, i think it's it's very very important so you know now connecting more generally online i think is becoming more important and i'm seeing it becoming more important also for uh, my japanese connections as well i think they were a little bit later to that game as it were than uh, maybe in the us or the uk uh, but it's definitely becoming much more important now i think for some reason facebook became the avenue that people put their businesses on but now they are slowly starting to move over to linkedin which is great for me because my facebook is not professional yeah. yeah it's kind of strange you know you have you you have kind of pages there was always that distinction wasn't there on facebook you know your your, your personal profile right the lydia page as it were on link is going to be very personal right on facebook and maybe for me, I have a business match and planet, and that's my that's very specifically my business. But I think LinkedIn allows you also, especially where you are, your brand, um, as in your case, as in my case, it kind of allows that blurring a little bit, which uh, which I think really helps. Mm -hmm, for sure. So then, for somebody who's just getting started, who's new to Japan, do you have any specific small recommendations that they could start incorporating in their own routines to help develop these relationships? That's a very, very good question. Um, I think uh, just beginning to uh, do your language learning is going to help. I know language learning is always a very, very daunting thing. It's, it's, it's huge, but it's like, it's like everything. It's like working out. It's like building a network. You know, you just have to try to learn those five new words a day or, you know, that one, one grammar point a week, whatever it is. And then, you know, a year later, you're going to look back and you're going to be light years uh, ahead of where you could have conceived that you would be. So I know uh, the Japanese language is, is perceived to be very difficult. And that's because it really is very bloody difficult. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, just learning those basic kanji. Again, we're not talking about fluency here, right? We're just talking about things, small things that will help you you know, when, when you get your feet on the ground here, navigate a little bit better. And I'm telling you this, by the way, as somebody who moved to this country with, with no language skill whatsoever. When, when I made it my goal in 2002 to move here, uh, of course, the, the intention was to learn the language. But at the same time, I was also trying to do what is sometimes regarded as one of the hardest professional qualifications on earth in half the time. So that's my excuse, mm. while at the same time juggling a social life in London in my early 20s. So I came here with zero language skills. And I've got to say, you know, to this day, I regret it. The second thing that will help, and it's much more fun, is familiarize yourself with Japanese culture. Go and read The Tale of Genji. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a fabulous book, and it's also the world's first novel. It will take you a long time to do, but it's going to give you amazing, amazing insight into the, the culture here. Go and watch on the other end of the scale, fast forwarding a thousand years, go and watch, you know, My Neighbor Totoro and all of those amazing Miyazaki films. Watch Shin Godzilla. You know, all of this stuff is gonna give you great, great grounding in, um, in the kind of, you know, the, the, the language. You know, one of the things, when we talk about language fluency often around the world, you know, I've, se I've seen this in some of the countries where I've spent protracted lengths of time. If you, Lydia, move to Singapore, you can speak the language, but you're not going to have the same commonality of basis that Singaporeans will have, right? Mm -hmm. If I, if you say something and you tell me a story about a mistake that you made and I say, oh, then we know where that comes from, right? We immediately have a common language of the Simpsons there. 
Mm-hmm. You know, when you're coming here to Japan, you're not going to be able to learn 30 years of kind of cultural immersion, but anything that you can do is going to help you. The music is also a great one. Myself and my resident DJ, Match and Planet's resident DJ, Royce Leong, actually run a Japanese music podcast, which we host on Mixcloud platform, which we've called Tokyo On. Uh, we have over 60 episodes on there. What we do within 30 minutes is uh, we play six songs and then uh, we then chat around those songs, whether it's uh, the culture uh, that the song is talking about, whether it's the artists themselves, whether it's the location where that song is set. Uh, so that's a, you know, I've been told because I've recommended it to people who are about to move and, and they've found it immensely useful. That's going to give you a great, great grounding in Japanese music. And not a lot of foreigners take the time to actually learn about Japanese music. So, you know, if you're there and you're able to, uh, you know, tell your puffy apart from your baby metal, then uh, you're going to get a lot of respect. Yeah, it definitely goes back to what you said earlier about the importance of having some sort of affection for the country. It's just so easy to find something to love in Japan because if it's not pop culture, which there's a lot of it, there's a lot of different areas, you can almost definitely find something you would like in pop culture. It's such an old country that you have thousands of years of culture to potentially pull from. You can definitely find something you love about the country and that will help you both learn about the country on a more deep level and then build relationships because you can find people to talk to about it. 100%. You know, you've got swords, you've got bonsai, you've got kabuki, theater. And then on top of that, you've also got the international culture. You could live a really good life here if all you loved was burgers. (laughs) You could become part of the, uh, you know, the very nerdy. I'm not saying I'm a member or am I, of the, you know, the Tokyo very nerdy burger community, right? Always checking out new spots, you know, places that have a burger on the menu, but don't really show up as burger restaurants. There's a uh, huge, huge opportunities for you to, to, whatever it is you love, you're going to find a community for it uh, in this city and in this country. So don't be shy about exploring your interests, for sure. A- absolutely not. So then for somebody who may be considering themselves as more of a veteran in Japan, they kind of understand how to connect with people and get around. Are there any more advanced tips that you would give them? Something to maybe level up their professional relationships in Japan? Excellent question, Lydia. I think the advice I'm about to give is probably the same advice that you would actually get in any kind of working environment, which is, you know, investing in the people around you, Mm -hmm. um, you know, fairly selflessly as well. So, you know, help them and support them and people will recognize uh, that, uh, that that's what you've been doing and you will create that, you know, positive vibe around you that will benefit you, whether you're working in the professional environment for the man or whether you're an entrepreneur. So one thing I try to do now with Matching Planet is I'm always trying to promote my collaborators, you know. Mm. Uh, the goal is it's not really any kind of financial gain, although you do find you will get financial benefits in general overall from operating in this way, not necessarily specifically from that uh, specific interaction that you've had. But I'm always trying to promote, you know, chefs I love, restaurants I love, people who run great websites who I respect, like... Chris Nilg at TDR Explorer, always trying to give people a platform to showcase what they do. And, you know, you will find that that karma comes around and it will benefit you in the long run. 
Yeah, that's so great. So then do you have a personal example of a communication breakdown in Japan due to cultural differences? When I was working for uh, one of the investment banks, the chairman of the bank actually came to the country, to, to the Tokyo office. And I was taking him around Tokyo to some meetings. And he'd come to Japan many times and purported to be a Japanophile and uh, purported to be somewhat of a, a fan and a reader of the culture here. So uh, we were about to get into a taxi. Now, in Japan, the most important person in your group, let's say you have three passengers. You may expect as a foreigner that the most important person sits shotgun, as it were, right? In the front next to the driver. Actually, the most important person in Japan sits behind the driver. Now, as you know, the doors of a taxi in Japan only open on the curbside, right? Mm -hmm. And so the person who sits behind the driver has to kind of get in first and then sidle across the back seat. So I was taking the chairman around and the chairman and I are about to take a taxi. The door swings open and I'm thinking, well, he's the most important person, so he should get in first. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And, you know, after this, I guess what may have been 10 seconds, but, you know, these things last an eternity when you're a junior mm -hmm. and a little bit nervous. He said, what the hell are you doing, Mac? And I said, I'm waiting for you to get in. And he said, Mac, I rarely pull rank, but there's no way I'm sidling across this back seat, potentially ripping my pants <laughs> in, in order to get in behind the driver. You go. So when I went and then he got in, and then I spent the remainder of the cab journey explaining what it was that was going through my mind that led to this misunderstanding. And so this is quite, this is maybe not the story you're expecting, because this is not a communication breakdown between myself and a Japanese person. This is a communication breakdown between me as an inhabitant of Japan, understanding Japanese culture, and somebody who I thought did, but came from overseas, and the gap in what was expected uh, should happen there. But of course, this, the chairman also had a learning point there because then the next taxi journey we took was with the two of us and a guest. Mm. And so he was able to quickly learn that uh, actually, you know, we, we needed to put the guest in, you know, behind the driver and he should sit in the back with him and I should sit in the front doing the kind of junior job of uh, telling the taxi driver where to go. Yeah, that's very interesting. There's just a lot of details that the more you can be aware of, the better off you'll be. But that doesn't mean that you won't have those experiences where there's still some amount of breakdown. So knowing more helps, but it doesn't necessarily prevent you from ending up in awkward and strange situations sometimes. Oh, you're, you're going to find strange situations, whether it's a linguistic misunderstanding, a cultural misunderstanding, on, on both sides, actually. Mm -hmm. So you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to sort of flip your comment on its head, Lydia. It's not just going to be cultural breakdowns because of uh, misunderstandings. You're also going to be able to get away with stuff that's kind of acceptable in Japanese culture that, that you would never be able to get away with, you know, in the West. So uh, you may be familiar with the term inemuri, you know, the ability to sleep anywhere, which is definitely a superpower of uh, the people here. You know, like I remember some of my analyst meetings, uh, I can now confess, you know, dozing off after a big lunch, 
you know, and a, a mistimed meeting of 2 p.m. In, in a very tight environment, you know, there was one or two people meeting before the company and there was myself and maybe a, a colleague. And, you know, and, and falling asleep in, in a very confined environment like that would be the ultimate disrespect in a Western culture, right? Yes. Uh, but, but in some ways gave me more respect here because it was a sign of, you know, how hard I was working <laughs> that I was, that I was falling asleep. So I don't recommend you pull that. Do, do, do not listen to this and think, woohoo, post lunch naps all the time. But, you know, something that would be very, very frowned upon in the West has a completely different interpretation here. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out as well. So then another very Western based question, but if somebody was going to Japan for the first time and they could only know one thing, what would you want that one thing to be? What would you tell them? That is an excellent question, Lydia. The advice I've given to people who have looked to me for mentorship when moving here in that vein has always been around, you know, parking your ego at the door. I think in the Western culture, we prize the individual self above the community. And Japan, the wa of the community is much more important than your own perspective on a situation or your own views on a particular matter. So park your ego at the door. When they're checking your certificate of eligibility at Narita Airport, you know, leave a little bit of the negative parts of your individuality at immigration and come here with an open mind and an open heart and an open spirit to try to understand Japan from Japan's perspective. And if you just come with that wide vision, then you're going to have a much, much easier time, both mentally, both emotionally, than so, so many foreigners who move here. Yeah, I know from experience that kind of the harder you cling to yourself, your individuality, um, not, not that it's a bad thing, it's just if you are insistent, like, no, I am this, therefore I will only do these things, I will only say these things in this way, the harder time you'll have and the less that you'll grow while you're in the country, for sure. I think it ties back to maybe a split in the interpretation of the word freedom. Mm -hmm. I want to make it very clear, by the way, that I mean, you're in total agreement. Absolutely nobody is suggesting leaving any kind of individuality at the door. In fact, you know, it's your, it's, it's your personality and your passion for Japan that's going to get you places here. But that's where, again, we've, uh, we've conflated two terms, right? Ego and then individuality, right? They're, they're, they're not, they're, they're, they're separate things. What I'm saying is, in the UK, there are now silent carriages on the subway, but people, people on the whole, you know, their phone will be on, you know, that when they, when, if you send me a message, Lydia, my phone in the UK will go beep, beep, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in Japan, we have them all on silent modes. In fact, we call silent mode manner mode here, as in the word manner, M-A-N-N-E-R, you know, mind your manners. And so isn't that an interesting thing? You know, in the, in the UK, I have the freedom to have my phone on. In Japan, I have the freedom from noise pollution. 
and I have the freedom to enjoy, a, you know, a, a conversation without if in a restaurant or enjoy some quiet time on the train without a thousand notification noises going off. And I definitely have just grown to really respect uh, the, you know, the freedom from that, uh, that makes kind of life very peaceful uh, in Japan. And um, I really, really admire that. And, you know, I think being able to enjoy the fruits of that is one of the great benefits of, of moving to Japan. So park, you know, a little bit of that ego at the door. You know, like I said, if you serve the horse meat, then respectfully decline it, but don't make anybody feel that they're a horrible person or they come from a horrible culture. Yes, when, don't yeah, do yeah, exactly. When, when you encounter a situation where, um, you know, a shogunai situation, whether it's at the bank or at the kuyakusho, you know, just take a step back, take a deep breath, understand that, you know, there are now thousands of, of people who've moved to this country who've handled that situation and you may just have to go back to the immigration office or, or wherever it is, you know, again, the next, uh, you know, the next week once you've addressed their situation. So if you're able to do that, please come and move to this country. We, we, we want immigration in Japan. We, we need to uh, offset our declining population. And uh, we want people like our listeners to come and move here and, and have the most amazing experience in the greatest city on earth. Yes, I love that. That's such a great place to end. So thank you so much for your time today, Mac. My pleasure. Thank you, Lydia. It's been an honor being a guest on this uh, fantastic podcast and all the best to you in your future episodes. Thank you. You too. Take care. Thank you very much. I hope that you enjoyed today's conversation. Please be sure to check out the links in the description of this episode to learn more about Mac and Maction Planet. But for now, remember that the more you learn, the more confident you will become as you explore all of the opportunities Japan has to offer you. So, if you found the information here today useful, be sure to subscribe for more Japanese language and cultural guidance. And if you enjoy the podcast and want to hear more content in the future, please go ahead and leave a rating or a review. It really helps other people find the show. And of course, if you have any other questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes or interview topics, or if you'd like to contribute as a guest on the podcast to share your own cultural insights into doing business in Japan, please email me at businesssuccessjapan at gmail.com. Until next time, mata kondo!